Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Reform Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And uh, we thank you for your patience this week. It's taken an extra day. That's how hard we've been working on preparing this episode of Reform Podmatics. Um, No, not really. It's been kind of a busy start to the week. Uh, I had a meeting yesterday that I was getting ready for, and uh, so we pushed things back a day. Normally, we will try to release episodes on Tuesdays, but uh, this episode on alcohol is coming to you a little bit later, so thank you for your patience. Hmm. Um, We are going to be discussing this, I don't know, it's an issue that comes up from time to time, not quite as big of a deal in our context as it Hmm. probably is in a few other denominational contexts. Um, So we're going to be talking about drinking, wine, beer, alcohol, Um, Hmm. what does the Bible say, what do different churches believe, even what are some of the different cultural approaches to mm. alcohol that really has a lot of bearing on the conversation. And so um, I, I hope it's a helpful, kind of a lighthearted, not the most serious topic you'll ever no, hear us approach, um, but at the same time, one that will might be very serious for some of our listeners if it's yeah, something that's, that... that's true. I don't want to downplay it. Yeah, that you struggle with. Um, I don't think either of us struggle in this area and so sometimes we can take things lightly that other people take very seriously so it is um it is an important thing but at the same time uh yeah we hope to approach it with with some levity a little bit of levity yeah it's not uh one of the more dense theological topics that we're getting into it's but it is something that is has a lot of day-to-day value for or an importance um, for how Christians think about uh, and so mm-hmm. what we what we want to do is just offer our our best thoughts on on the subject uh, because yeah let's face it uh, living in this world most of us are going to have times where we encounter uh, the opportunity to drink and consume alcohol and so um, how do we do that well um, all of the Christian life matters as we live it before God. And so even the things that we eat and drink mm-hmm. matter before God. Mm-hmm. And we have to uh, make wise decisions for ourselves that will help us to lead holy lives, lives that will be free from the entanglement of sin and addiction, uh, but also lives where we will be able to celebrate God's good gift. And one mm-hmm. of the things I made, one of the points I made in a sermon that I preached uh, a couple months ago was the idea that uh, because God creates good things, good food, we should go out and every once in a while just really appreciate a good meal, mm-hmm. uh, whether you're making that at home or you're, you're going to a restaurant. Um, so all these things matter mm-hmm. because life in this world matters. And so we have to think about even these things like what we do with something uh, like alcohol. And so this is one of those subjects that comes up, especially for young people, um, once they hit the age of 21 here in mm-hmm. the United States 
and they begin to make the decision for themselves. If they've grown up in the church, they will probably have grown up within a church culture uh, that has either more of a positive view and an okay view of alcohol or for many Christians, uh, a more negative view. Mm -hmm. And so this is a question that basically every Christian has to think about at some point in their life. Um, alcohol is a global product. (laughs) And so everywhere you are, it's, it's around Every culture has something to do with, with alcohol. Yeah. And this is part of the reason why a podcast is really helpful. I think because I, I doubt that either of us will preach a whole sermon. um, Yeah. Unless you're doing an exegetical, I guess if you're moving, if you're doing an an expositional series through maybe Ephesians and you got to Ephesians five eighteen, or maybe through Proverbs, you'd probably get to it. But Overall, um, it's more of a podcast topic than, For a, sure. than a sermon well. topic. And so I think that's hopefully one of the good uses of the podcast here is to get into a lot of practical things like we've done in other things with Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. uh, critical race theory and um, some of the other the, the state of the Christian Reformed Church. I did preach a sermon on that, but, mm-hmm. you know, still a little bit more podcasty in nature. Um, mm-hmm. And so hopefully... Uh, Maybe this is a podcast episode that you share with someone who you've had a conversation about the matter with, and uh, we hope to give you some biblical direction. And uh, jumping right in there, some people might wonder, well, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible ever talk about alcohol? And um, I got to be honest, as I approached the topic, I knew the the big texts. I knew uh, the one in Ephesians uh, that talks about being sober-minded, not getting drunk. Um, I knew the one in First Timothy where Paul tells Timothy to have wine for his stomach and his frequent illnesses, for his mm. physical health. It could be a good thing. But I was actually surprised at how much the Bible talks about wine, drunkenness. Um, mm. 214 verses in the Bible mention wine. And, um, <clears throat> and so I just, I didn't read them all, but I, <laughs> with my Bible software, was able to kind of sift through and get a sense for the general teaching of the Bible on on Mm -hmm. wine and drunkenness. And I know that Zach's been looking through uh, a few scripture texts too. And and there are positive um, teachings on wine that that it can be a good thing. Of course, many people would think right away about Jesus turning water into wine and that being um, not just an amazing miracle so and not just so that people could have a good time at the wedding but hmm. sort of a parable of the kingdom that that uh that jesus takes this this normal substance of water and turns it into this celebration yeah. substance of wine and uh hmm. and how that is sort of a kingdom parable in a way but it's also so that people can enjoy the wedding too yeah um so uh yeah, that's one of those. Any other positive connotations that, that you want to bring up that, that you can think of in Scripture? Yeah, I think the Scripture often aligns wine or, yeah, it's usually wine. Wine is the more common alcoholic beverage mm-hmm. of choice used throughout Scripture. Other times it mentions strong drink or some translations will call that beer. Yeah, um, It's not exactly known as far as I know. I could do more research on this, but it's not exactly known what that's referring to. And beer is really a more modern drink. It's a sort of yeah. middle ages. Later, yeah. So later, I don't think yeah. there would have been something like beer. Maybe it was like mead. I don't know. I know mead <laughs> is like honey based alcohol. And actually mm. from what I've heard, this could be far fetched, but I've heard that it comes from 
Egypt, and it's a very, very ancient drink. Mm. I'm not entirely sure of the roots or origins, uh, but it's called strong drink, which to me makes me wonder if it would have had a higher alcohol mm. content than wine did. Mm. Uh, but generally, when the Bible talks about alcohol, it talks about wine because that was a pretty common thing um, in the ancient Near East and in the time times of the apostles and of Christ in the New Testament as well. So um, what you find, though, when you look to Scripture, and we can get into this, is a pretty uh, multifaceted view. Mm. Scripture, if you were to ask, is Scripture positive when it refers to alcohol, or is it negative? Uh, The answer is yes and no. Yeah, both. (laughs) Uh, Or both, yeah. It is, it's it's pretty... uh, mixed. And so I think scripture tends to connote wine with celebration and joy. But there's also times throughout scripture, like in the book of Revelation, where wine Mm. uh, often gets talked about with God's wrath, Mm -hmm. um, the wine press of God's wrath. And so there's different imagery that gets used uh, when when talking about wine. But I, I, I do think that in general, the scriptures give a measured amount of cautious praise about about wine and it's 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 being a gift to to mankind for celebration and for enjoyment mm-hmm. uh, but it's something that can be very very dangerous as well so what are some of the main passages mark that uh, we, we think that would be good for us to share as we talk about the sort of positive side of alcohol and scripture yeah um Obviously, the I already mentioned the um, the the wedding at Cana, but yep. um, it's a big one. I like Numbers eighteen twelve, where it's it's one of the the blessings of being a Levite that the other tribes of Israel will provide wine for them. Hmm. And so, in Numbers eighteen verse twelve, God says to the Levites, "I give you all the finest olive oil and all the finest new wine and grain that they give the Lord as first fruits of their harvest." So, as people bring their offerings to the Lord the Levites are, are the recipients of, of those offerings um, because they're not producing those sorts of things for themselves, that the Levites don't have land, um, and they're provided wine by the other, the best wine even, by the other tribes of Israel. So obviously uh, one would deduce hmm. from that that it, it can be a very good thing and even a blessing to enjoy an alcoholic drink, um, yeah. some wine. And... Um, you see in the prophets, um, this is probably the most common, if I had to take a guess, the hmm. most common reference to wine in the Old Testament and really in the whole Bible is that the sign of blessing of the Lord is that there will be wine for his people. Hmm. And so it's often in the negative sense that the Lord will withhold wine and f- the first hmm. fruits and, and the good things from these people as a sign of judgment for them. They, there will be no mm. celebration. There will be no yeah. um, no party, you know, no laughing um, and no wine in their mm. country um, when exile happens, when there's destruction in, in their land. So um, that that is mm. a very common picture of, of the kingdom, I guess, in the Old Testament. Um, yeah. And so you see that in Isaiah 36, 17 and Zechariah 9, verse 17 where um, it's, it's God's sign of blessing on his people that you'll, you'll drink wine in the land that I've given you. Yeah, and then another one, which I don't think you mentioned unless I missed it, uh, was the Lord's Supper. That's a very yeah. clear reference to, uh, to wine. Um, and I think that there's a lot to that. 
the fact that Jesus doesn't choose water or any other sort of beverage, but he specifically chooses wine. And of course, there will be a lot of theories that come up that the wine of this time was basically non-alcoholic. It would have been the equivalent to a grape juice. It was non-fermented. And if it was fermented, it was maybe only 1% alcohol compared to modern wine, which is, I don't know, roughly 13 to 15%. I'm not exactly convinced by a lot of this, Mm. but I will say I have to do my research on that. Um, But it seems to me that wine in the Bible has the possibility of making somebody drunk. Mm. And so if the wine wasn't that strong, how would it, why would there be warnings against drunkenness? That's in first Corinthians. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's an issue I think with the interpretation that the wine back then was not really alcoholic. I think very clearly that it was alcoholic. Um, And so the fact that Jesus uses it for the sacrament and for all time, basically the church has used the fruit of the vine. Um, This, this could bring it into a different discussion, bring us into a different discussion about whether we use juice or wine. We use, we use juice here at Ammon Valley. Um, I guess the position would be that it's still the same mm-hmm. same fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing. It's just not fermented. Um, but the fact that Jesus uses it and and correlates it with his blood, I think, is a is a big deal. Um, mm. If Jesus was a was a extreme teetotaler, he would have chosen something else. I, I think. Um, Who is it that uses water? Is that Mormons? I, I, maybe I shouldn't oh, ask I that know. question. I, I, I'm not sure. Um, I, I know that there are some groups that hmm. that wouldn't even use um, the, That's the fascinating. juice. Um, but uh, I, hey, I, you sh- you can hear us processing things even uh, here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, guess, definitely. Uh, this is the kind of conversation we have in our offices. Um, <laughs> but it was interesting. I, I looked through the texts of hmm. the Last Supper. And it never mentions wine specifically. It's always the fruit of the vine, and yeah. the, and he took mm. the cup and offered it to them. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I agree with everything you said. That is um, interesting. But that did make me feel a little bit better about it being juice, and it mm-hmm. is the fruit of the vine. It does remind us of the blood of Jesus. Um, hmm. it, the word wine. I don't know about the translational um, approach yeah. here, but the. Uh, the the word wine specifically is is not used during the Last Supper, but it's obviously wine. That's that's the what he's giving. And then in First Corinthians, Paul says some of you are having so much that you're getting drunk, yeah. And then others go without. So obviously, then yeah. it's it's wine. that was going to be my thought. Yeah, I guess I've never looked at it in that much detail. I've just always assumed it's funny how you can do that with yeah. scripture. I had done that too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can remember what First Corinthians does say about it and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so it's, it's, it is clearly an alcoholic beverage. It's and, it's and if it's the fruit of the vine, that doesn't mean it's an apple. It doesn't mean it's apple juice. <laughs> right. Um, and Jesus says, drink from it, all of you. And so that I found interesting yeah. as an interesting line in Matthew 26, 27. It's for everyone. And and so um, yeah. I, I do think, there you go. You have the instruction to partake, yeah. at least in a, a, a small, small measure, yeah, um, which is significant because some Christian traditions have basically say when any wine or alcohol touches your lips, you have disobeyed and sinned against mm-hmm. God. So yeah. that is an extra biblical and even unbiblical teaching to to go out so far yeah. as to say that it's. 
it brings up the idea that interesting idea that's just something maybe we can get in towards the end of this but um it seems to me that part of the point of wine even in the positive passages of scripture especially in the positive passages passages of scripture correlate wine with celebratory joy Mm -hmm, for sure which seems to me to hint in the direction that some of the effects of wine aren't all bad they're not morally wrong and this is this is tricky ground though because drunkenness is wrong Mm -hmm. and that's clear from scripture um and drunkenness though exists on a spectrum right um 0.08 yeah you can and you can be beyond (laughs) that you can be you blackout drunk you can be legally drunk which is not blackout drunk there's there's different Mm -hmm. points along this spectrum and it seems to me that scripture has this sense of of wine being something that creates merriment in in the human heart that's that's a good thing but that can't go too far so yeah sort of a moderated joy Mm um i don't know we can get into that uh here in a bit but there are these positive passages uh there's also first timothy 5 3 23 which i don't know if we've mentioned yet where paul uh, commends timothy to drink wine for his physical health he says stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses Uh, so this is a medicinal purpose to wine some people may respond well we have things like Pepto-Bismol for stomachs now, or we have things you can take if you have uh, ulcers in your stomach or whatever. Whatever Timothy had, we don't know what his mm-hmm. condition was, but we have modern medicine, so now we wouldn't need wine. But again, this this proves that taking wine upon the lips isn't sin. And so for somebody who has that position, which has been a position throughout mm. the more recent part of church history mm-hmm. uh, that's not quite right i don't think um given what what we see here but let's talk about these yeah. negative passages of scripture the scripture doesn't have all positive things to say about wine not even close uh it's it's actually quite mixed yeah um and and we have to acknowledge that i think a lot of young people today yeah they want to look at those first timothy okay paul tells timothy to drink some wine okay i'm good i'm just gonna go you know uh mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. all out uh, I, th- I think that is how a lot of young people think yeah. about um particularly hard liquor or mm-hmm. wine or beer it's like um, well, I, I found a few proof texts for myself, and so now I can feel good about mm-hmm. um, imbibing, you know, as much as I want. And so there are, um, in the Old Testament in particular, um, wine is often associated with foolishness. Yeah. So Noah gets drunk. The first reference to wine in the Bible is Noah getting mm-hmm. pass out drunk, uh, laying naked um, in his home, and this causes a lot of family issues he ends up giving a curse to one of his sons because he saw him and sort of mocked him Hmm. before being drunk and naked um and then lot's daughters and only 10 chapters later in genesis 19 they get him drunk so that he actually impregnates his his uh daughter and um Hmm. and and the connotation there is very much we'll get him drunk so he'll be a fool and he won't think clearly about things and he'll just do what we want him to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you do see that not just in those two examples, but that, that those are, and Nabal as well, Nabal in um, the story of David's life, Nabal, his name means fool, and he is often drunk in, this, in the story um, hmm. as it's told. 
um, Abigail has to wait for him to sober up before she can even talk to him at one point. So, um, hmm. so there, Nabal the fool is associated with drunkenness as well. Yeah, that, and that theme gets picked up also throughout the Proverbs. Um, the Proverbs have an interesting uh, multifaceted view again as well, but there's a lot of negative uh, verses on the use of wine or alcohol. Um, and it's not negative in the sense that they're saying wine is bad, but it's negative in the sense that it's giving lots of caution and saying, look, mm-hmm. wine can really make your life spin out of control. Uh, the, the Proverbs are about kingly living, living as a, as a strong Christian, living as somebody who uh, wants to a- accumulate the wisdom of God and live as a wise person. So there's lots of warnings against foolishness. Mm. Um, and so of the many different verses that warn against the, the folly of wine, uh, Proverbs 23, 19 through 21 is a really good one where uh, Solomon writes, Listen, my son, and be wise, and keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Mm. And so, uh, basically, this the, the point here is that wine and, and gluttony, or over-drinking and over-eating, uh, will tend to lead you to a place you do not want to go. Um, it will lead to not not a blessed life, but a life that is essentially cursed. Uh, yeah. Drowsiness, being being clothed in rags. This is connoted, connotated, um, is the word? This is connected <laughs> to uh, laziness throughout the, mm-hmm. that's a big theme throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, laziness will not end well for you. If you are lazy throughout your life and you do not work, you do not strive, uh, your life will not be a blessed life in general. And it's uh, expensive, you know. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and you're wasting all your money. Yeah, yeah, it's an addiction that you have to feed. Um, mm-hmm. I think of cigarettes in that sense hmm. where, um, man, it's expensive to smoke. Yeah. And especially if you're smoking a lot, that is, um, that's also connected to poverty, I think, is hmm. you, you can't get ahead if you have these addictions um, yeah, and so there's the physical toll that it's taking on one's body, on one's liver, for the case of alcohol, and their mm-hmm. lungs, in the case of cigarettes. But then there's also the financial toll that, mm-hmm. um, and both of which are are pushing someone towards poverty. Um, sometimes people who make a lot of money don't really notice that, mm. but um, it is it can be a waste of kingdom resources for sure, both in physical health and energy and in finance, uh, financial hmm. um, kingdom resources too. So. Yeah, and so that's a, that's a really good point. It can drag, your, drag you down financially as well. Yeah. Um, and that's what overeating does as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of these things can, can, can hamper uh, your effectiveness in the world and in the kingdom of God in particular. One uh, interesting one that I found was Micah 2 verse 11. So um, in, hmm. in this text, it's a one that I hadn't really closely considered before um micah says that the false prophet is the one who encourages drinking um the false prophet promises physical pleasure for people that's one of the marks of a false prophet i would say in the old and new testaments and so micah 2 verse 11 says if a liar and a deceiver comes and says i will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer he would be just the prophet for this people meaning Israel is now listening to those kinds of prophets instead of the true prophets of God who will say, 
be holy, uh, set yourselves apart, um, be, I would guess, be moderate in your consumption of wine and, hmm. um, and don't let it control you. But this, this false prophet says, I'm going to promise you plenty of wine and beer. You're going to have all the things you want in this life. Um, hmm. I, I do see that as an issue even within the church where um, a lot of men's ministries in particular can be associated with hmm. uh, alcohol, to be quite honest. I know of, this is less of a push now than it was about 10 years ago, but pub hmm. ministry, pub theology hmm. groups, um, um, not saying that that is necessarily wrong, um, but if if we are associating ministry with drinking, that hmm. is not a good thing. Hmm. Um, and particularly if that's the only men's ministry at a church. Yeah. Um, and there's no other men's Bible study but this one that happens at the bar, and you're sort of you're trying to appeal to people actually by promising them a drink, hmm. and then we'll fit some theology into it. There, uh, that is very problematic, I would say. So, hmm. do I love to go to a bar and uh, maybe not a bar, a sports bar, and uh, hang out with my friends and, and have a beer? Yes, I do, and we <laughs> talk about all kinds of things. But for the church to say this is how we are going to attract you to our ministry event is it's going to be at the Rippin' Inn, you know, mm-hmm. the bar in town. To me, that's uh, it's kind of a non sequitur when mm-hmm. you're talking about the gospel itself. Hmm. Yeah, that is an interesting passage. How, how would you juxtapose this with what you said earlier about the, the prophets that you were noticing who prophesied mm-hmm. wine? Mm-hmm. They were the, the true prophets. Um, it seemed like I don't know. How would you fit these together? Yeah. Oh, well, to to seek the Lord and to be blessed by good things is, to me, fits right in line with the, with the prophetic literature about hmm. wine. So they're seeking the Lord, they're worshiping him, they're observing the Lord's day, and the Lord responds by blessing them in amazing ways. I think um, so often hmm. modern ministry flips that. It says... You're seeking wine? Oh, okay, well, we'll give you some wine, and then mm. we'll sneak some, some of mm. God's word into it. So it it's mm-hmm. reverses it. It doesn't mm. say, oh, you're seeking the Lord, and we're living in community, yeah. and a couple guys go for a beer. To me, that's almost the, the, the result of fellowship mm. and not the point of fellowship. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I think being more careful, particularly officially as a church, um, and not including, uh, I don't know, uh, beer or wine as the reason why some people would, would show up for hmm. something. Pub theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, that th- That is one of the appeals for it, I would guess, for some people. Hmm. Um, we want to, what you win them through, you win them to, is, is what people say. I think there's a lot of truth yeah. in that. And so if you win them through pub ministry, well, then that's really what people are just going to be interested in. Hmm. Um now the spirit can work in mysterious ways, and if somebody's <laughs> listening to this and they say, "Wow, I disagree," I, I got uh, the Lord saved me through a pub ministry that I went to, and it was great. Then I think that I celebrate that, but I would also say it is unwise for the only ministry for men, in particular, hmm. to be associated with alcohol in a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and somebody who maybe comes to Christ in a pub ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, or as one to the idea of Christianity in the in a pub ministry would struggle with 
how Christianity and the Bible gives a much more complex mm-hmm. view mm-hmm. Um, of of alcohol. Um, and so if they then hear later on in their Christian life, oh wait, the Bible actually has a lot of warnings about the consumption of alcohol. Um, that would be, maybe be a tough pill to swallow thinking, wait, I kind of bought into this thinking that it was okay for me to just continue to drink a six pack every night when I got home from work. Um, that's not, um, at least for most people. Um, I don't know if anybody could drink a six pack and not, uh, be too far gone. But, and there's also the weaker brother argument in my, my pub ministry rant as well. Oh yeah. uh, Yeah. And and that, um, you're excluding people when you attach alcohol to church activities. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, first Corinthians, that's what Paul says. We need to be really careful not to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and so some people would maybe disagree with me because they would say, well, you go to the pub and you have one beer, you're not getting drunk. You're fulfilling Mm -hmm. all the requirements of scripture. Um, but I would say because of that exclusionary <laughs> factor in that type of ministry and also in uh, the, the, the saying that I mentioned, what you win them through, you win them too. We want to be careful about hmm. how evangelism is done. Um, so I, I, you, somebody could disagree with me uh, on that. <laughs> I'd be curious to hear comments or see an email um, where, uh, where somebody has seen that go really well. Hmm. Um, I, I do find it interesting that that trend has flamed out pretty much. Yeah, I've not seen the um, pub theology you thing. You just as don't much. hear about it anymore. Uh, and so, something yeah. to apply Gamaliel's test, if it is of the Lord, we can't stop it. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it doesn't seem like that's really happening all that much right now, 10 years after it was all the rage to every church yeah. have a pub theology group. <laughs> um, so, uh, maybe they transitioned into. Uh, more traditional ministry models, but... Um, what do you think of just individual lay Christians starting their own group if they, if they just want to have some friends over to mm. smoke a cigar or drink some whiskey and talk yeah. about theology and it's not really an official ministry under the auspices of the church, but it's kind of just like, hey, we're a couple of friends, we all share a common interest in nice beer and mm-hmm. we we want to like work together to study or talk about theology or politics or whatever. Yeah. What would you say about something like that? Oh, I'd say go for it um, and maybe don't have alcohol every time, but uh, would mm. would you be okay in that group with no alcohol? Yeah. Would, would there still be rich fellowship and, and people having a good time and talking together? Mm. Um, th- this sort of gets into one of our pastoral points that we want to make, um, mm. mm-hmm. is just to ask the question, would I be okay in this scenario if there was no alcohol? Would I just be happy to be with these people? Um I yeah. particularly ask that about weddings, about camping, <laughs> about <laughs> Super Bowl parties and New Year's parties where it is expected to have mm. a lot of alcohol in those contexts. Yeah. And so I would ask in, in that scenario too, uh, would this group of guys, would everyone still come if we said this time, um, I don't know, I come up with a different theme for the day. Um, I would guess in most scenarios, like I know with my friends at church, we'd be fine. Mm-hmm. We'd be okay if somebody just said, oh, um, I'm going to be watching the World Series, stop by, and if you got yeah. there and there was just soda and water, I don't think anybody's walking out the door. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, but even still, to um, to make alcohol always the, the reason for gathering hmm. is um, not... It, it, it's a gray area, 
but I would say one that we should be a- attentive to. Yeah. To think about. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, maybe if that if you're a f- part of some group like that, have a few meetings where you specifically just don't yeah. don't have anything, and see how that goes. <laughs> Um, see where your heart, how your heart feels. Um, um, do you feel like, oh, this is terrible. This is just not fun anymore now. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you feel like, oh, I actually don't, don't mind it. That's, yeah. that's, that'd be a good gauge for you uh, to think through that. Um, so that is, that is a good pastoral thought to have. Uh, and we'll, we'll, we want to get to that, but yeah. just real quick, I want to take a little bit of a detour okay. on what, have Christians throughout history thought about alcohol? Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that many people today, and I came out of more of a uh, pretty anti-alcohol, um, I don't know, upbringing, um, in both in my church context and in my family context. Um, I don't want to say too much about my personal family history with my, my parents and grandparents, but uh, my family has had a history of, of alcohol. Mm. Um, and so my parents raised me to be pretty much against it and to have the view that drinking alcohol was not a good thing to do. I don't think they would have gone so far as to say that drinking alcohol is just an absolute sin, uh, but it was something that they very specifically never did in front of me. Mm. Um, so my mom, her side of the family was Lutheran, um, and her dad was... Um, he, he had a really strong struggle with, with alcohol and with cigarette smoking. And so I grew up sort of thinking Christians do not drink. If you're a real Christian, you don't really drink ever. Um, and so it was interesting to me growing up and sort of poking my head out of the, the evangelical bubble of my hometown and sort of realizing that, oh, actually there are plenty of Christians who have uh, more of an open view towards alcohol. And so it seems to me, I've not done any reading on this particular topic, but it seems to me that throughout, throughout most of Christian history, there's been a pretty uh, cautious acceptance of alcohol. That's how I would frame this. Um, and maybe you can add into this, but it seems to me that Catholics historically have been more or less okay with alcohol. Mm. Um Catholics today are often known coming from, I mean, having such strong roots in regions like Spain and Italy and Portugal, France, it's a lot of wine cultures. Um, If you know anything about Belgian beer, you know about Belgian Trappist monks who Mm -hmm. for about a millennia now um, have been well known for brewing beer as a sort of fundraising campaign. That's what I know it originally started out as for many of their monasteries to sort of raise some funds in the community mm. and um, and to just be able to make an impact on their communities by their uh, their existence. They would brew beer. Uh, typically, their beer was pretty low alcohol, although there are some Belgian styles that are higher alcohol, I know. Um, mm. I don't know on the, the history of the styles of beers or whatever, but I, just, I do know that there have been a lot of beer brewing monks and monasteries <laughs> throughout history. Yeah. And then from what I've gathered in my sort of journeys through the ecclesiastical world, Lutherans tend to be okay with it as my mom's side of the story sort of makes clear. Um, yeah. They, my parents go to a Lutheran church. They just had an Oktoberfest and there was beer oh, yeah. at church. Oh wow. There was yeah. beer at church during the, I'm like, 
Well, it's Oktoberfest. <laughs> and they're German, it's, probably. It, it, it's, yeah, so there was sausage and bretzels and, and beer. Uh, <laughs> so I was a little surprised to hear that. It's a very conservative church. Is it an LCMS? Um, it is, it is. Yeah. And, uh, and yet they had beer, and I don't know, it's a fun thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. So, hey, go for yeah, it. Yeah, so then I went to I went to an Episcopal church in Central Florida. I think I've mentioned that on here before. Um, and the first year I was there, they had a a beer festival called St. Arnold's Day or something like that. Uh, it was middle of the week. It wasn't on a Sunday, um, but it was, they had a few local breweries come and then there was like vendors with like selling snacks and stuff. And yeah, that could be, yeah. maybe that go, that falls into the category of not a wise thing to do. Um, but the, in general, they were more accepting, um, and actually, it was pretty common to go to a pub after the evening service with the the hmm. the priests hmm. uh, would often come, and it was always interesting because the pub that actually had an Irish guy who ran the pub down the street in downtown Orlando called the Kelt or the Harp. It was called the Harp and Kelt, and then it switched <laughs> just the Harp or just the Kelt. I can't remember, <laughs> uh, but they would always confuse them for Catholic priests because they would have the white collar on and they would say, Oh father, I'll get you a drink father. Um, uh, well, I see that as, as, as pretty fun and categorically different than pub ministry. If in that, yeah, it wasn't really a ministry. It was right. just, we're going out and we almost always people would be eating too. Sure. Well, uh, or, or an Oktoberfest thing. It's like the, the point of going to the Oktoberfest party is not to have a drink. Whereas yeah. to me, the point of the pub ministry is honestly you're going to have a drink like i Mm -hmm. I would guess that maybe some guys would just get a pepsi or sprite or something Mm -hmm. but the the amount of pressure for one to drink in the different contexts would be pretty significant people would come and people wouldn't drink there'd be a lot of people would just get like french fries or something they would just get a little appetizer and so it would just it just happened to be a local bar that was open at that time on (laughs) sunday nights sure um uh and that that is where I got to actually have a lot of community with people at that church because mm, um, mm-hmm. I only went to the evening service during seminary. Um, but yeah, so Episcopalians are more open to it. It seems to me, though, that in the history of Christianity, it really comes down to the 19th century uh, and really to the Second Great Awakening in particular, mm. where there's a lot of energy against social ills. Mm-hmm. Um, the late... 18th century, early 19th century, from what I know, America was a bit of a rough place, um, morally speaking, especially as there was expansion onto the frontier. You would have a lot of men moving to to new towns on the western frontier, um, and it would not be exactly a civilized place. There wasn't strong Mm -hmm. police forces. Uh, and the place where everybody would go in the evenings after a long day of work would be the local tavern. With very strong and, drinks. And, and the saloons. Yeah. And there would be lots of strong drinks and not yeah. just strong drinks, but strong drinking. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of a wild place. I mean, they call it the wild, wild west. Um, <laughs> and so I think a lot of itinerant evangelists uh, in the Second Great Awakening rightly saw this as a great scourge. Mm-hmm. The The evils of alcoholism um, that had been taken to new heights because there it wasn't the sort of societal societal frameworks that had historically been in place um, that would sort of mitigate more or less against these sort of ills being as rampant as they were. Uh, I think 
if a man is if, if a bunch of men if say a city or a small town is 80% men and 20% women I'm just sort of riffing I don't mm-hmm. know the numbers oh, yeah. of what this would have been but in was, Vancouver it was 95% men at one point <laughs> So there you go. Yeah. So then these men are probably, they don't have a family to come home to. Yeah. They don't have a wife that they have to think, oh, I got I to gotta come home in good shape for my wife and for my kids. Um, it would have been pretty pretty wild. And there would, so that not having that would create a lot of instability in, in a place like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of disposable income if you have less family and you're yep, making a lot of money. responsibilities. Or, yeah, right. And as long as you're at work the next day, it doesn't really matter, you might think, mm-hmm. about how much, how drunk I get. And so there began to be a really strong growing sense that alcohol is pure evil. And it's one of the great roots of evil. Uh, and so it should not be touched. And so there's a, there's a picture I've seen float around the internet of a temperance group of women, something saying like a man who's lips touch alcohol will never touch mine or something like that and it's a bunch of these very angry looking very dour back in those days in in the 19th century a lot of photos that were taken people weren't smiling so it's these dour looking women (laughs) Um, and so it's always kind of made fun of as like a joke but you have this big push in society against these kind of social ills another one would be abolition uh, which is a good thing Mm -hmm. against or would be against slavery Um, prostitution and so, yeah, yeah, against prostitution for sure mm-hmm. and sex trafficking as we would call it today. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, Christianity down through the 20th century, the, the sort of evangelical Christianity that stems from the Second Great Awakening has had in its DNA a sort of antagonism towards alcohol at all. Mm. Um, and so... It's, it's interesting for me, or it was interesting for me to just sort of navigate this world and see, okay, Christians throughout time and history haven't had this staunchly oppositional stance towards alcohol, um, but that doesn't mean that they've also been totally just, you know, throw off the shackles and drink all that you want. Um, mm-hmm. It's been a, um, a balanced sort of position as far as I can tell. And so that leads to the CRC's own history, mm-hmm. which I'll have I'll have you explain, Mark. You you know more about this than I do. Well, the the Christian Reformed Church always has had a pretty uh a reputation as being open to drinking alcohol. Yeah. Um both of us were at a wedding um a month or two ago. We we both had a drink at this wedding mm-hmm. and uh I did not sense one single person who would scoff at either of us for doing that. We were sitting with a big group from our church and mm-hmm. uh, a church in the area and people were, no one was getting drunk at our table at least. Um, and we were just having good conversation and, and it, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like an issue at all to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's pretty par for the course, I think in the CRC. Yeah. Um, in fact, in seminary, um, going for a drink was what was known as a Canadian Bible study. Um, so, <laughs> so the Canadian uh, classmates of mine um, would often go to, to a bar nearby and, and have a drink. I think they, they called That's it that. It's more of a joke. But um, <laughs> if you ever hear the term a Canadian Bible study in the CRC, it means going to have a drink. Um, so, um, so anyways, I'll read the beginning of the CRC statement on alcohol. It's a good one. I, it's one that I hold to 
and mm. it's a, a good summary of this whole episode. So yeah, um, this this is what it says. Scripture teaches that beverages containing alcohol can be a blessing or a source of evil. Those who drink alcohol must consider its effect on themselves and on others. Uh, again, the weaker brother argument. Mm-hmm. Abstinence from alcohol may be an appropriate moral response in particular situations, but it is not demanded by Scripture and therefore should not be demanded by the church. Yep. Um, and that's speaking in holistically. It, it, it should not be demanded yeah. by the church for everyone. I mm-hmm. do think it would be totally permissible for a church to demand that a single person would abstain from alcohol if they yeah. struggle with, with that um, or if they have a history of drinking and driving especially, um, which I've, I've been a part of churches that have had that scenario. And so to demand from that person abstinence would be very wise. But to wholesale reject alcohol and to, to demand that a church, uh, that no member of the church partake in drinking is extra biblical. Yeah, so th- that sort of reminds me that stance, the last sentence, it's not demanded by Scripture and therefore not to be demanded by the church, mm-hmm. reminds me of something that I recently discovered in an old Bible of my dad's that I uh, recently got from my mom, um, where it's there's a church covenant on the back page. Oh, wow. It's sort of glued to the back page of his Bible that he was given to, or given to him as a young kid um, by his third grade Sunday school teacher. And one of the commitments that he makes in having to sign this Bible about being a church member, um, it's called the Church Covenant. One of the things is to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drink as a beverage and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. So it's elevating teetotalism to, like, that's what Christians do. Um, and so, and I think it's symbolic that it's physically in the Bible taped yeah, into yep. there, right? It's like, you're going to be a member of this church, yeah. young Chris, you have to sign this church covenant and agree to never drink wow. alcohol or use alcohol in any way. Yeah. Um, I would say the CRC statement does a good job of saying, look, the scripture doesn't take that kind of position and therefore we cannot demand this by the church. But yeah, for the sake of a Christian, for the sake of somebody who may struggle with it, it, it can be something that is brought up by the church and um, should th- there could be warnings. There could be a time and a place where somebody has said, is told, we do not think you should drink. Yeah, you should no refrain. You. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, in, in wrapping things up, um, what would be your pastoral advice? So as a young, as a pastor of young people, um, a young person comes to you and says, I'm getting ready to go to college. Uh you know what should I do when, when I get offered a drink in my junior year of college and I'm of legal age? How should I think about this? Don't drink. No, no um, <laughs> sign the covenant. <laughs> there's always some sort of questions you should be asking yourself. One of the big ones you should ask yourself is, why am I drinking? Hmm. Um, what's the point of my drinking right now? Is it because of a sort of peer pressure? Is it because I'm feeling down? Is it because I feel like I can't really celebrate unless I have this with me? Mm-hmm. Or is it something you're doing just for the enjoyment of the beverage, which I do. I enjoy the flavor of beer. I really like fancy stouts in particular or sours. I could I could talk a lot about, about <laughs> beers. I, I enjoy the different styles. Um, and yes, yeah, so that's something you have to think about. What What is your real reason um, something my wife and I try to do is if we're having a bad day and sometimes you just want a drink, we both 
stop and talk to each other and say, mm-hmm. I think I want to drink for the wrong reasons right now. Um, and I'm not going to drink because of that. Um, and so you have to be able to sort of do that mental calculus. Now I'm not saying you have to have a checklist of, mm-hmm. of things that you have to, okay, I got to check all through these things before I take a sip of, of a beer or something. That's almost superstitious. Yeah. Right. But sort of walk through these things and know yourself, know, um, especially if this becomes to, comes to be a problem and you're scared of this being a problem, take some time away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, avoid it, um, for a time, for a season. And maybe you can come back to it, but if you see this becoming an addictive thing, you need to stop. Um, and you need to, to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And so don't put yourself in situations where it's going to be uh, a problem as much. Now that's not something you can, ind- you can do entirely. There may be situations if you go to a friend's wedding and there's just alcohol there. Uh, but if you can avoid going to certain social gatherings where you know there's going to be, be drinking and you know, it's a problem for you, mm. then avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That, and I guess another part of my encouragement would be learn to enjoy it as a beverage. I've found that people who enjoy it as a beverage usually drink more because of their enjoyment mm-hmm. of it mm-hmm. and not so much because of the effects that it brings. Yeah. Um, so learn to appreciate it and see it, the complexity. So if you're drinking a good glass of wine, drink a little bit and think about each sip. What, what flavors am I getting? Mm-hmm. And that makes it more fun. You're enjoying the taste of it more. But then you also realize I don't really need a whole lot of this. Yeah. I can just enjoy a little, little bit. Um, and so, yeah. And then also another question would be, who are you drinking with? Um, do you drink alone? What does that mean for you? Sometimes that's, that's okay. Sometimes when I'm working on stuff, um, I'll, I'll have a, a beer and work and work for a few hours. And that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, sometimes if you're drinking alone, that can mean you're really depressed and lonely. Um, or it can mean, uh, that you're just looking for something to sort of medicate your problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's not a good thing. Um, or if you're drowning your sorrows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or if you're drinking with people, what kind of people are you drinking with? Are you drinking with the kind of people that will egg you on to keep drinking? Um, or that will not care to stop you if you're going too far? Or will you drink with friends that would, that will say, Hey, you, you need to, you need to back that down. Uh, yeah. You shouldn't have that next drink. Yeah. Uh, you should watch yourself. Um, those are some questions. It's a lot, but yeah, those are the kind of questions I would I would encourage somebody to ask. Yeah, uh, along with that, I would always say, um, especially in social situations, enjoy people more than the drinking. Yeah, that's um, a great one. And uh, I-, I talked a little bit earlier about the wedding. I, I had been at a wedding a long time ago. Um, it was a dry wedding. It was at a church in a, in a building. It was not mm. at this church um, that that I serve now. But um, the people around me were just complaining the whole time that there was no alcohol about how lame the sweating was, how stupid it was that they were there. Oh, mm. uh, they were just, they were, they left as soon as they possibly could. And the whole reason was that there was no alcohol. Mm. So they weren't there to celebrate a marriage. They weren't there to, to be happy for the new couple. Um, they were there to get drunk. Mm-hmm. And, um, unfortunately that is what weddings and, um, New Year's parties and camping are associated with for a lot of people is filling that cooler with Bud Light <laughs> and mm-hmm. getting really drunk. Um, and yeah. so uh, enjoy people 
be okay if there is none. I, so again, yeah. I, I like to go camping, and uh, I think usually I'll have a, some beer in the cooler. But there have been quite a few times where I've forgotten to buy some beer, and, hmm. and it's okay. Yeah, it, it's it'll, not like the end of the world, fine, um, especially because you know, I've got little kids, and I'm usually pretty tired at the end of the day when I go camping. <laughs> so I just want to go to bed. But but even there, um, I and I think the reason that I bring that up is I think that that type of drinking is maybe a little bit more common than the the pure alcoholic who just can't function Mm -hmm. is to start to need alcohol in certain situations in order for you to be happy there yeah so like the wedding um the new year's party Mm -hmm. um it so that's not really a person who's an alcoholic and -hmm. i think that that's often how christians talk about alcohol it's like well i shouldn't be alcoholic and i shouldn't get drunk Mm -hmm. but um they might struggle in this way of hmm. going to a party like a Super Bowl party or a fantasy football draft party. Yeah. And and maybe they didn't even want to get drunk there, but they are kind of ticked off that they don't get their alcohol in hmm. that place. And hmm. so it becomes a kind of thing unto itself instead yeah. of this this nice thing that, that we can enjoy. You know, I had some friends over. We watched the Olympics during the summer. We had a couple beers over that time, and that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I think those friends who came over, um, one of who I know listens to this podcast, hello, Dusty. Um, uh, I think that they would have been okay if we would have just watched the Olympics and had yeah. soda and water and some pretzels. Mm-hmm. You know, it would have been fine. Yeah. So, um, so anyways, I think that that is important to consider. It's not just about drunkenness and alcoholism. That's a good point. But it's about the, the need to do this thing in yeah. these situations and so hopefully the christian is self-controlled that's that's the ephesians text um mm-hmm. do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit yeah and so that's saying you don't need that to mm-hmm. be happy you don't need that stuff the spirits as they they're called and you know they're called spirits um mm-hmm. because they make people act a little bit differently and uh, you don't need that instead be filled with the spirit be content be joyful serve the lord yeah um in that way so yeah you can be a, a you can live a fully human life without ever having alcohol um, yeah and it's good sometimes to refrain but you don't have to be afraid of it because the bible says it's yeah it can be a, a blessing as yeah. well so uh, once again we fall in maybe a more moderate <laughs> position and i think that is one yeah. of the benefits of the christian reformed church we we're not as likely to get swept up in the moral majority anti-alcohol movement of the 80s yeah um that's when the crc produced a lot of its material on alcohol was in the 80s and a lot of the moral majority were mm-hmm. saying no alcohol they were teetotaling mm-hmm. the, the reformed approach is really always going to be well let's look at the scripture mm-hmm. let's let's get the tone of scripture on this matter and let's try to live that way yeah so. and so we hope that this has been helpful for you and thinking through this. Um, maybe you feel like, oh, well, now I just feel like I'm caught in the middle. But there's, <laughs> I don't think there's a place to be caught in the middle. I think you should be uh, encouraged by what Scripture says. And Scripture gives us wise warnings, but it also gives us um, a healthy view, I think, mm-hmm. of Scripture and, and or of drinking and, and of uh, why to do it, why not to do it, yeah. and so on. And so... Uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We know this has been a little bit longer of an episode, but uh, we trust that it's been one of the more interesting ones <laughs> and a little bit, yeah, more lighthearted as we said at the beginning. So 
yeah, as always, subscribe, like, share, comment, whatever you want to do, and we will see you next week. All right, see you.